Thank you, DJ, Esther, and Jen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Trinity Church. And welcome all mothers this morning on this beautiful Mother's Day morning. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And also want to say welcome to podcast listeners, uh, congregation we have those who um, aren't able to make it today, and uh, those who listen regularly that are never able to make it. So we want to welcome you as well. Um, For those of you who don't know me, maybe those of you listening via our podcast, my name is David Ayler. I am a deacon here at Trinity. I am not the typical person that you would see up here on a Sunday morning. It's usually one of our three elders, Dave, Tom, or DJ. Uh, But they had a wonderful opportunity to go to Alistair Begg's Basics Conference in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and it's a wonderful opportunity, us being resourced enough to be able to send them there, us being a small church, it's a wonderful time for them to just be preached to, teach to, equipped for ministry, and also uh, just a nice time of relaxation. The the church does a wonderful job of just letting them kind of hang out and have fellowship with one another, and it's not high pressure or anything like that. Um, So in the spirit of giving them a break this Sunday morning, I have been asked to preach, and the elders in their infinite wisdom asked that uh, I would preach Ruth chapter 3, all of it, the, uh, all 18 verses, the most controversial chunk of Ruth. I'm beginning to think this is some sort of joke or uh, something like that. I actually think that you just wanted to get out of preaching the threshing floor scene on Mother's Day. That's what I think is going on here. Um, it's all right, I'm happy to do it. Um, But in all seriousness, I am actually thrilled to be preaching this morning because Ruth chapter 3, believe it or not, is the perfect passage for Mother's Day in that we see a righteous mother take action for the well-being of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And isn't that the heart cry of every mother here this morning? If you're a righteous mother, you want to have what is best for your daughter, what's best for your son. And so one could say that it is divine coincidence that we landed on this passage for Mother's Day. See, we do a kind of teaching called expositional teaching, where we walk through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and sometimes word by word. This morning, I have a whole chunk. I have 18 verses. But it's as though God directly intervened to make this our passage, because it is perfect for Mother's Day. In previous weeks, we have seen divine coincidence happen in the lives of our three characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, one of them being Ruth found gleaning in the fields in the fields of a redeemer, divine coincidence. And last week we saw the other side of the same coin of God's sovereignty, and that's God working through ordinary means. And this week we continue continue along the same thread of human effort, how God works through our plans and actions. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that God works through your plans and actions? Well, this may seem trivial to you. Of course, of course I believe that God works through me, works through my plans and actions. I've been churched. I've grown up in the church. I know this. But why do you believe this? Did a pastor tell you that? Did a youth pastor tell you that? A Christian song, maybe growing up in the church and just speaking Christianese, you just kind of absorb the truth that God works through your actions? Well, I hope that you would say that you know this truth because you've read it in the Word of God. And what we find in chapter 3 is this truth, that God works through our actions. We see a righteous mother, Naomi, who makes a very unusual plan for redemption for her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. And it's an aggressive plan, it's a prayerful plan, it's a righteous plan, but a plan full of imperfections and risks. And that plan doesn't go entirely according to plan. 
And then we see that plan land into the hands of Ruth, an obedient, loyal daughter-in-law. And she executes that plan near perfectly, but then the plan doesn't quite go according to plan. And she has to make her own decisions, her own plans, and her own actions. And then we see the recipient of Naomi and Ruth's strategic plan, and he has to come up with a wise plan, a discreet plan, one that is going to be successful. He does not rest until that plan comes to completion. So what I want you to see this morning is this, that Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz planned, schemed, and strived for redemption to bring the gospel to you, to bring the gospel, excuse me, planned, schemed, and strived for redemption. They didn't just sit back and wait for it to happen. They had a mission of redemption similar to our mission of redemption today. Their mission was for family redemption, to be brought out of the hardships of widowhood through kinsman redemption, which we will talk more about here in a little bit. Our mission is to bring lost people, let's call them the spiritually widowed people of the world, to the feet of the only kinsman who can redeem them, and that's the man in our Lord, Jesus Christ. Realize this, and remember this, those of you who are believers, Someone planned, schemed, and strived for your redemption at one point in your life, for the gospel to be presented to you. They were on their knees in prayer, maybe the night before, that they were planning to share the gospel with you. Maybe a wall came up, and they didn't think that they could share the gospel with you, but they made a plan and a strategy, and they wanted it to come in full to you. And so they worked hard to bring it to you. They used the best human effort that they could to bring it to you. So here are some questions I want you to think about this morning as we go through Ruth chapter 3. Are you scheming for redemption? Are you strategizing to bring the gospel to the lost? Are you scheming to bring lost souls to the feet of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ? See, in our circle of Christianity, we have a tendency to think that not trusting in the Lord's sovereignty that we're not trusting in the Lord's sovereignty whenever we put forth a human effort. But that couldn't be further from the truth. If we believe God is sovereign, then that is reason to make plans, to use human effort. What does the proverb say? Man makes his plans and the Lord directs his steps. So that's what we find in chapter three. Three characters planning, scheming, and striving for redemption. In chapter 3, there is no higher level of tension and suspense. It's unlike any other chapter that we've seen in the book of Ruth. The author immerses us in the thrill of the night. It's fast-paced. It's a heart-beating pace. I'm looking at my notes. I'm getting ready to read it. I'm actually getting nervous because of just how intense it is. All the events occur in late evening to early morning. And unlike earlier events in this chapter, it's in the daylight. Or it's at night and the other ones were in the daylight when they were among a crowd of witnesses. Um, But everything happens close to midnight and into the early morning, and it's one of secrecy. And the language is seemingly illicit, seemingly promiscuous. The author takes the mystery one step further by removing the characters' names, calling them the man and the woman, the man being Boaz and the woman being Ruth, further concealing them in mystery. Get this, God is on the lips of the characters in the book of Ruth 18 times. Guess how many times he is spoken of in chapter 3? Only twice. So where is God in all this human effort? Have the characters gone rogue? 
Have they taken lordship over their lives like they did back in chapter 1, taking matters into their own hands? Well, let's find out. So turn with me to Ruth chapter 3, and I'll read the entire chapter for us. I'll give you a moment to get there. All right. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he, will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for loving us so much to give us inspired scripture, God. We thank you for the Old Testament. We thank you for these very real characters that we can relate to, Father, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. God, I pray that uh, we would all have ears to listen and hear to what your word have to, has to say this morning. I pray that you would speak through me, God, and it would not be my words. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in your precious name that we come in prayer. Amen. All right, my first point, the mercy of God renews hope. Verse one, then Naomi. Okay, let's stop right there. Right off the bat, we see a major shift in Naomi's attitude and actions. She is now released from her bitterness from prior events and hopes in Yahweh again. And this truth moves her to action, and we've already been introduced to this character, but let's remind ourselves of what caused her bitterness for those of you who are just now catching on to our Ruth series. In chapter 1, 
there was a famine in Judah, and that caused Naomi and Elimelech and um, her two sons to move away from, uh, from Bethlehem and move to Moab, a pagan land with pagan gods, a pagan culture, abandoning the one true God and God's people for a pagan one. And then Naomi's husband dies. Naomi's two sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, and they live in the land for 10 years. They integrate with the pagan culture. Naomi, her only hope being her two sons, relying on her two sons for provisions. And then Naomi's sons die. And then she hears that the famine is lifted in Judah, so she returns home to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Misfortune after misfortune made her waver in her faith towards God. And when she returned home to her people, she said this in chapter 1, verse 20. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And then in chapter 2, we see the mercies of God breaking through the dark clouds of her misery. And uh, let's remind ourselves of these mercies. We meet Boaz, a man of wealth, a man of God, the example of a wise man, and happens to be a relative of Naomi, of Naomi's husband. And we see Ruth taking refuge under the wings of God in a foreign land, being led mercifully to the fields of Boaz. Divine coincidence, God intervening. Boaz shows favor towards Ruth because he has heard of Ruth's devotion to Naomi, leaving her homeland for a new one. All three of these mercies transformed her bitter heart into a heart that hopes in God again. And then we read last week, chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi said, The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So the lesson from chapter 1 and 2 is this. Though we suffer and may turn our hearts away from God, his faithfulness towards us is unchanging and steadfast. This is the loyal love of God, the Hesed love of God, a love that says, no matter how you respond to me, Naomi, I still love you. This is the way that God loves his people, and this is the way that God loves us today. And I call this a 2020 regeneration in the heart of Naomi, 120 being the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, and that reverses to 2 verse 20, his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And this is a similar story to our heart change today as believers. We were 180 degrees away from God, our backs turned to God, enemies of God, and then we went 180 degrees the other direction, being friends of God and loving God. And so let's move on through chapter, through verse 1. That it may be well with you. Naomi has a prayer for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. One that is she's recalling from chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Naomi says this in chapter 1, 8 and 9. Go, return each of you to her mother's house. And this is Naomi speaking to both of her daughters-in-law at the time. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in your husband's house. And so, that it may be well with you, or may the Lord deal kindly with you. This is her prayer, and this is a common idiom that we see throughout the Old Testament. It's kind of like live long and prosper, right? Uh, if you're familiar with Star Trek, you see that often, live long and prosper. But this is not fictional, it is, it is real. It's a real prayer that Naomi had for her daughters, that they would be prosperous. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this idiom used in regards to wishing the blessing of bridal happiness in Jeremiah 7.23, the blessing of security in Jeremiah 
42.6, the blessing of long life in Genesis 12.13 and Deuteronomy 4.40, the blessing of material prosperity in Jeremiah 40 verse 9, and the blessing of many children. And all these things, are, they encompass the prayer that Naomi, ha- Naomi has for Ruth. And so it's clear from this regeneration that's happened in her heart, she has returned to this original desire for Ruth. And she is ready now to take action for Ruth's well-being. And that brings me to my second point, the premise of an unusual plan in verse 2. So Naomi's plan is based on a realization that she came to at the end of chapter 2 that we talked about last week that Tom preached on, that Boaz is a relative and therefore an eligible redeemer. And she says that again, explaining the significance of it to to Ruth. In verse 2, she says, is not Boaz our relative? So Tom detailed the significance of him being a relative and him being a kinsman redeemer last week. Um, He referenced Leviticus chapter 25 and Deuteronomy chapter 25. Let me refresh for you what this kinsman redeemer role is. When an Israelite man dies and fails to leave behind a son, the brother or the nearest relative, in this case, of the deceased man is commanded to marry the widow and both redeem the land, meaning buy it back from where it was sold, and redeem the family name by providing a son to carry on the deceased father's name. Uh, That way it would not be blotted out in Israel. And this custom was set up to protect families in Israel. And Naomi realizes that Boaz is a relative, and this is her opportunity. So the, the premise of Naomi's plan is Boaz, the relative. Not to mention he's got all the goods, right? He's not just some random relative. I mean, there's lots of relatives that we have that we could say, nope, I don't want my daughter to, uh, to marry that person. No way. But Boaz has got all the goods, right? He's wealthy. That's important for a lot of reasons. It's good to have wealth. Life is easy that way, but also he has to buy land, and uh, he has his own land. He's established. He's a man of valor and integrity, and he's a harvester. He's probably a pretty rugged, strong dude, right? He's distinguished in age. He's kind of like a Hugh Jackman of the Middle East. Um, I'm going to just stop right there. I'm not going to take that any further, but my point is, is that he's the entire package. It just couldn't have been a better, a better choice for Naomi. Um, an added bonus Boaz has already shown favor towards Ruth here in chapter 2, verse 10 and 12. He says, what, Ruth says, Why have I found favor in your eyes, speaking to Boaz, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So what I really want you to see about this kinsman-redeemer custom is this. And that's the parallel of God as Israel's redeemer and Jesus as our redeemer. See, this idea of redemption, salvation, vindication, these are themes that we see throughout the Bible. In Exodus, we see God as deliverer, rescuing his people out of the house of slavery in Egypt. And then we see him as king who makes a covenant with his people. In Leviticus, We see God as owner of all the land in which his people dwell. And in Deuteronomy, we see God as the one who hears innocent blood crying out for vengeance, and he defends the innocent. And today, thousands of years later, Christ is our redeemer from what? From sin, having paid the price for our debt. The kinsman redeemer has to pay a price 
It's in dollars, but it's a similar parallel. So we see the kinsman redeemer as a type of Christ in this way. Boaz would assume all that is contrary to Naomi and Ruth, similar to how Jesus assumes all responsibility for our sin. So this is the plan for Boaz to pay the price for Naomi and Ruth's redemption, similar to how Jesus pays the price for our sin and redemption. And see how Jesus is a kinsman to us having lived as a man while on this earth, understanding our suffering. In Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's lived as a man. He's been tempted as we are, yet he is righteous. He is without sin. So then we have confidence, right? Let us draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. We rely on the righteousness of Jesus when we approach him for redemption. We can draw with confidence to the feet of our, of our kinsman redeemer. And Naomi believes she can do the same with Boaz. She believes she can send Ruth with confidence to the feet of Boaz. And he will respond in righteousness. See, Naomi is clever. She knows that if, that if Ruth can get a private conversation with Boaz to speak to him about their widowed situation, Boaz, being a righteous man that he is, will likely respond in righteousness. It's who he is, and that's who the community expects him to be. So Naomi is banking on the righteousness of Boaz, similar to how we bank on the righteousness of Christ for our redemption. So moving on, Naomi wants to arrange this private moment between Ruth and Boaz, and all she needs at this point is a venue, and she knows just the place. She says in verse 2, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, what do we know about the threshing floor? Well, Tom spoke a little bit about this last week. The threshing floor was a solid stone or dirt floor in the middle of a grain field where harvesters would finish the final two stages of the harvest process, threshing and winnowing. Threshing was the process of separating grain from the husks and straw by beating it with a sledgehammer, animal hooves, or cartwheels. And winnowing, or wind winnowing in this particular case, was the process of removing grain from chaff or any other pests that may be in the mix. And with a fork-like tool, winnowers would use a fork-like tool or a basket, and they would throw the mixture up into the air. And so the lighter chaff would be blown a few feet away, and the heavier grain, the good stuff, the stuff that they wanted to keep, would fall down at the feet of the winnower. So the most important detail about this threshing and winnowing process is the wind because a good wind determines the time and location for winnowing. See, a winnower would pick a time and day when the wind would be just right, strong enough for the chaff to be blown away a few feet, but not too strong that it would blow away both the chaff and the grain. It had to be just the right kind of wind. And so Naomi knew that tonight would be the night. Tonight was the night for threshing and winnowing because harvesters are like, they're like weathermen. They are looking for the right night and they're speaking of it to one another. They know that, look, this is it. This is the night. The whole community knows about it. We're speaking of it to one another. Harvesters all over Bethlehem were gearing up for this profitable evening of winnowing. And so Naomi knew 
that Boaz would be at his threshing floor. And that's the perfect place for Ruth to have a private conversation with Boaz. And that brings me to my third point, the unusual plan of Naomi. Here we see it really kicking the high gear. She says this in verse 3, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when the man lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Well, that's quite the plan, Naomi. It's unusual, right? Unusual to say the least. We don't find any other account of the kinsman redeemer custom being executed this particular way. Ruth sneaking up to Boaz in the middle of the night after Boaz is satisfied from a meal in the cover of darkness alone in a secluded corner of the threshing floor. I don't find it any other place in Scripture. Now, there is some wisdom here. Naomi, you know, approaching having Ruth approach Boaz after a good meal. Jessica can attest to that. Whenever I've had a good meal, that's the best time to approach me about anything um, because I'm in a good mood. So Naomi, she's got got that down. Um, But what is is typical for this kinsman redeemer custom? What is the typical approach uh, for an Israelite? Well, in Scripture, we do find a typical approach, and it was typical for Israelite parents to arrange marriages for their children. In Genesis chapter 4, chapter 34, 38, Exodus chapter 2, and Judges 14, we see arranged marriages. So the typical approach for Naomi would have been to approach Boaz, or Boaz seeing their widowed situation for Boaz to approach Naomi about the situation. Well, Boaz didn't approach Naomi, and I think he may be off the hook, because we read the entire passage earlier, and we saw that there is a nearer relative And from what we know about the kinsman-redeemer custom, the nearer relative has the right. And so Boaz, being the man that he is, a righteous man, did what? He behaved just like Naomi thinks he would. He behaved in righteousness. And he said, nope, that is not my right. So maybe that's why Boaz didn't approach Naomi. But why didn't Naomi just talk to Boaz about the situation? Why did she choose this unusual approach? We have to ask ourselves, is it right? Is it wrong? Well, the answer is, we don't really know why Naomi chose this plan she did, but we do know that she's after one thing, and that was based on her prayer in verse 1 and earlier in chapter 1, that it may be well with you. She wanted redemption for her family, and she was going to work hard and make the best plan that she possibly could to make sure that it would be successful. So let's flip that around to us this morning. How about you? What's your plan to bring redemption to the spiritually widowed people of the world, the lost people of this world? Are you strategizing a plan for redemption like Naomi? So maybe we should examine Naomi's plan, and uh, that'll give us a clue how to plan ourselves. Well, her plan was a lot of things. It was prayerful, based on that, that it may be well with you. Prayer, it was righteous. It was aggressive, to say the least. It was strategic. It was exciting, and it was full of risk and assumptions. It was prayerful in that it was based on, may, it well, may the Lord deal kindly with you in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, nine and that it may be well with you in chapter, one, in chapter 3, verse 1. And it was righteous in that Naomi's plan was based on the laws and customs 
of her people. She is an expositor of the law in her own way. It would have been an oral tradition. So she drew from it, she drew from the law this plan. Next, it was aggressive. It was fast-paced. Naomi and Ruth were in an emergency situation. Remember, being widows in a man-driven patriarch society is difficult. It's an agrarian society. Trying to provide food for yourself, trying to glean, to pick up the scraps, shelter, clothing, those, the, the simple things that we just take for granted. This was them trying to survive. And all the events in Naomi's plan took place really fast, within less than 24 hours in the secrecy of night. So it was aggressive. Her plan was also very clever and strategic. She didn't leave any loose ends. It has all the elements of a good strategy. It has a specified place, a specified time, and an approach. The place would have been the threshing floor. The specified time would have been in the evening. And the approach was one where Ruth wouldn't just rush up to Boaz. No, she's going to approach when Boaz is asleep after he is satisfied, satisfied from a good meal and a good drink. And her plan was exciting. Can you imagine how sick Naomi must have felt sending Ruth off to Boaz and just trying to figure out how it's going to come? I mean, the Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? Hope put off. You don't know what's going to happen. It makes you sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Tree of life indeed. Naomi didn't know that it would be a tree of life down through David and then to the man in our Lord Jesus Christ. Naomi didn't have any text messages. She didn't have any phone calls. She was probably pretty sick, but excited because this was it. This was like her silver bullet chance to get this. And her plan was certainly imperfect and full of assumptions and risks. Boaz is known to be a righteous man, and uh, we can assume, she assumes that he will act in righteousness, but this is a crucible situation of temptation, being alone at, at, at night at a threshing floor. I mean, Ruth, she, she washed. That's always a good idea to wash. <laughs> She's probably smelling really attractive. She's an attractive woman, and Boaz has to act in righteousness here, and, and we, we know the story he does. But Naomi is banking on the righteousness of Boaz to not take advantage of her. So there's certainly some risk there. So what does your plan look like? Naomi's plan was to bring Ruth to the feet of the Redeemer, Boaz. What is your plan to bring the spiritually widowed to the feet of Jesus? Is it based on prayer like Naomi? Are you praying for that person you're trying to share the gospel with? Is it righteous? Is it based on scripture? Are you meditating on scripture, looking for ammunition in scripture to share the gospel? Is your plan aggressive? Do you realize the emergency situation that we're in? Lost souls are in need of redemption. Is your plan strategic? Are you actively planning a place and time to share the good news? Is your plan exciting and imperfect? Are you afraid of messing up? Is that keeping you from speaking at all? Take a risk and go out there and speak. So make a plan and move for the mission of redemption. Be like Naomi and strategize for the spiritually widowed. And let's see how Ruth responds to Naomi's 
unusual plan. This brings me to my uh, fourth point, the loyal response of Ruth. In verses five and six, Ruth says, all that you say I will do. So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Parents, isn't this like the ideal child just to say, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. I mean, I wish that my kids would obey like this. This is awesome. In loyal obedience, Ruth, she doesn't raise any questions. She doesn't gripe. She mentions no other possible ways of going about it. And we can assume based on her response, she's fully on board with the plan. The text doesn't tell us if she's fearful, excited, or anxious. The text simply says she's obedient to her mother-in-law. So why is Ruth so loyal? Well, people are loyal to one another for lots of reasons, right? There could be duty, obligation to a rule or code, or maybe we're loyal to people that treat us kindly, who are compassionate towards us. Naomi and Ruth shared a lot of the same burdens. That must be it, right? They shared the same burdens. That's why Ruth is so loyal to Naomi. Well, wait a minute. What about, what about Orpah? The other daughter-in-law, Orpah. Orpah didn't respond the same way as Ruth. Orpah stayed behind. So what is it that's different about Ruth's love, about Ruth's devotion to Naomi? Well, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we can get a little bit of a clue. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth's love for Naomi is so intense that she would leave her people for a new one, worship a new God, and on top of that, wish for that new God to curse her if she were to ever leave Naomi's side. That's some intense loyalty right there. It defies natural reasoning. So what is it that is different about Ruth's loyalty compared to Orpah's? Well, it's love for Yahweh. Ruth has faith in the one true God. She says, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. This is a tough truth for us if we flip it around to us And I ask the question, do we love like Ruth loves Naomi? Let me sharpen the blade a bit. Do you love the way God loves you? Our Heavenly Father is the ultimate example of loyal love. In Psalms chapter 40, verse 11, it says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And Psalm 44, 26 says, Rise up, come to help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says in John chapter 13, 34-35, I have a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this All people will know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. The world is watching us, ladies and gentlemen, so we must love each other with a loyal love. And this is so counter to the way the world teaches 
our, teaches love. The world says freely love. No strings attached, no covenant relationship. Commitment of any kind is contrary to what we believe about love. Freedom is love. Real love is a covenant-like love that we see here in Scripture. Remember, no matter how you respond to me, I still love you. And this principle applies in every aspect of life. It's our relationships with each other, loving each other in this church, loving our spouses, and loving our children. When someone has made a transgression against you, loyal love says, I still love you anyway. That is the way that God loves us, and we can take shelter under his wings, just like Ruth does. And we see that language as we continue on. Verses 7 through 9 says this, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, servant, for you are a redeemer. So the first thing that jumps out at me here is that Boaz was startled. In previous chapters, Boaz knew who Ruth was, and he addressed her as my daughter. Here he, he doesn't know who she is. It's just some shadowy figure, uh, some beautiful woman that has approached him in the middle of the night. And for all Boaz knows, this is a, it could be a... Um, promiscuous woman looking to make him the next victim or something like that. So Ruth has to respond relatively quickly and state her intentions to clarify the situation of what's going on. She says in verse 9, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And the next thing that Ruth says is off script a little bit from Naomi's plan. Instead of Boaz telling Ruth what to do, like what we read earlier, Ruth has to tell Boaz what to do. And again, she's wanting to clarify what she's doing there. And she says this amazing statement, this amazing proposal. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now this language resonates. It clears up the situation really quick because Boaz knows this language. We've seen it earlier in, the, in, in our study of Ruth. Boaz prays Ruth for seeking refuge under the wings of God. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is why Ruth's proposal statement is so amazing, because in essence, this is what she's saying. Not only do I want to enter into a marriage covenant with you, Boaz, but I see you as the way in which I take refuge under the wings of God. And isn't that similar? to how we take refuge in Jesus so that we can be in a relationship with God. Not only do I want to enter into a marriage covenant with you, but I see you as the way in which I take refuge under the wings of God. We take refuge under the wings of God through our Redeemer, Jesus. It's an amazing proclamation, amazing proposal. Now I'm anxious to see Boaz's response to this. In verse 10, he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz was pleased with Ruth for two reasons. First, he says, your last kindness is greater than the first. Well, what last kindness 
is Boaz referring to? Well, it's Naomi's original devotion. It's Ruth's original devotion to Naomi in leaving their homeland, Ruth's homeland and family. She leaves her native land, her native people, for a new people who she did not know because she's so devoted to Naomi. That was the first kindness that Boaz has praised her for in the past. And so what Boaz is saying is this, your desire to marry me and to produce an heir for Naomi is an even greater kindness than you leaving your country, your family, for Naomi. Boaz is floored with how much Ruth loves Naomi. And he continues on in verse 10, you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Boaz recognized that Ruth passed up a lot of potentially more attractive options. Ruth was working in the fields. She probably worked with some younger men um, who were attractive, and they would have been poor men or they would have been rich men. And Boaz is saying, you could have married for money, which would have been rich, or you could have married for love, poor. But instead, you married out of love. Instead, you want to marry out of love and devotion for Naomi. Now, we can't help but ask, was Ruth's devotion to Naomi the only reason for proposing to Boaz? Did Ruth romantically love Boaz? Well, most commentators agree that romance was probably taking place between Boaz and Ruth. But many commentators want to elevate this to like a Western interpretation, more like a Disney-like love story. But the main love story that even Boaz wants you to see this morning is Ruth's hesed love or loyal love for Naomi. And how do we know this? Because look, in verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, capital Lord, Yahweh, uses the very name of the Lord. Your last kindness is greater than the first. Boaz wants you to see that, look, wow, Boaz is impressed with this loyal love. And we know that the name of the Lord isn't used flippantly among righteous Israelites, so he used the name of the Lord. He is super impressed with Ruth's love for Naomi. And the truth is, if there was any question of a romantic relationship forming between these two prior to the proposal, there is certainly no question of it starting to ramp up right now. Boaz is falling in love more and more with Ruth because of her virtue, because she is virtue to the highest degree. And we see my next point, uh, point number five, the wise response of Boaz to all this. Verses 11 through 13. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But, he will, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So Boaz responds to Ruth's proposal in three magnificent ways. First, he tells her not to fear because he knows she is a worthy woman. And this is a term that is reserved for the ideal wife that we find in Proverbs 31. And this is, I think, why Boaz is really ramping up his love for Ruth. Boaz knows that Ruth will bring him only good, not harm, all the days of his life. That's Proverbs 31.12. She has all the aspects of a worthy woman. She's trustworthy. She's hardworking in industry. 
She's proficient at making good decisions. She's generous towards the needy. She's efficient in doing noble deeds. These are all things that are outlined in Proverbs uh, 31. And not only will Ruth bring him all these good things, but Boaz knows that she will enhance his reputation. He says in verse 11, For all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. Considering Ruth's Moabite heritage, this speaks substantially to her character. She is so worthy that Boaz knows the town will... They won't think twice about her pagan upbringing. Second, Boaz promises to follow through with the matter of her redemption until it is resolved. He says, I will do all that you ask. And then in verse 12 and 13, he says, There is a near relative. If he will not redeem you, then I promise to, as the Lord lives. Now, Ruth may have some mixed feelings about this, right? Because she learns that there is a nearer relative. Um, So it could be Boaz or this other guy that ends up redeemer. But remember, the kinsman redeemer custom fell on the nearest male relative. So we have to ask the question, did Naomi know about this other relative? I mean, it's a small community. I think we can assume that she knew about this other relative. So why didn't Naomi have this plan for this other relative? Why didn't Naomi approach this other relative? Well, based on what we know on Naomi's heart desire, her prayer for her daughter-in-law, may the Lord deal kindly with you in chapter one and that it may be well with you in chapter three. It could be that this near relative was not the kind of man that Naomi had in mind for her daughter-in-law. Naomi loved Ruth and wanted what is best for her, for her daughter. So simply put, that is probably what's going on here. I think mothers can relate to that. You don't want some random, terrible relative. Well, we don't want any relatives these days, Mary, but you know what I mean. We don't want just some, some, some dude that's not righteous, you know, marrying our daughters. Um, you need to clarify that. So, so Boaz, he's all the goods, right? This is, this is the man that Naomi wants um, for Ruth. And third on Boaz's response, she said, Boaz provide shelter and security overnight till the next morning. In verse 11, my daughter, do not fear. In verse 13, remain tonight. Further on in verse 13, lie down until morning. See, Boaz, in a sense, is responding like a kinsman redeemer already. He's protecting her overnight. And this is why I think that the love story between Ruth and Boaz is really ramping up at this point. Boaz is falling in love with Ruth, and he wants to protect her like a kinsman redeemer would. And not only is Boaz protecting Ruth from physical harm that may come from leaving in the middle of the night, you know, a woman leaving a threshing floor in the middle of the night, in the middle of harvest season, there could have been, you know, men out there drunken that would take advantage of her, but he's also, regard, he's also protecting Ruth's reputation and his reputation. And that brings me to my first subpoint, and that's the cautious plan of Boaz in 14 and 15. And it says this, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Verse 14, verse 14, we see, but arose before one could recognize another. 
Ruth shared in Boaz's discretion. Let it not be known, Boaz says in verse 14. One can only imagine what the locals would have said if they had seen a woman leaving the threshing floor in the middle of the night. You don't do business transactions in the middle of the night, and you certainly don't have a woman dressed as she is. She's dressed attractive, not seductive. Let me just clarify that. A beautiful woman approaching the threshing floor in the middle of the night. I mean, this, the town gossips would have run with this. Were these two lovers fornicating? Was this a prostitute visiting a customer? Boaz is cautious. He wants to guard her reputation and his reputation. And this is Boaz's wisdom on display. He understands that if anyone, anyone were to suspect them of immoral behavior, that would potentially jeopardize his conversations with the community elders that morning. As an added precaution, Boaz commanded Ruth not to go back empty-handed. Boaz loaded Ruth with six measures, six portions of barley. And uh, commentators estimate this is between 50 and 100 pounds. So Ruth is, uh, she's, she's CrossFit Ruth. She's, she can handle it. Boaz had to pick it all up and put it into her garment. But once it got in there, you know, she, she was able to carry it apparently. I don't know how far away the city was, but it's quite impressive. <laughs> uh, and then verse 15, she goes into the city. Then she went into the city. Can you imagine how restless Naomi must have, must have been overnight, just waiting for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to return? She must have been up all night. She must have been sleepless, full of prayer, looking out the window. Again, like I said, there's no text messages. There's no way for Naomi to figure out what has happened or what's going on. She's simply just waiting and hoping and fearing and praying. And that brings me to my second subpoint: the gift of promise verse 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. And he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. When Ruth returned home, Naomi was full of anticipation, excitement, and anxiety. And she simply asked, what happened? How did it go? And the author chooses not to repeat the events that happened, because we've already read them. But we can imagine the scene and what that would have looked like between Ruth and Naomi. Uh, If you were to ask my proposal story, I could probably tell you it in 30 seconds to a minute. If you were to ask Jessica our proposal story, you'd be there for a couple hours, And uh, there'd be lots of girly laughing and tears and all sorts of stuff. So I imagine that there there must have been some of that going on between Ruth and Naomi. Um, But notice that the narrator chooses not to elaborate on that moment between Ruth and Naomi. Instead, he moves on to something, she or he, the narrator, moves on to something much more important. And that was this gift. It It was the portion And so why would this be the case? Why is this gift so important? Why is this grain so important? Well, we've already said one of them. There's three reasons, but one of them is precaution, right? It was wise for Ruth to return with grain in the morning, and that combats any scandalous accusations. It looks like a business transaction at that point, leaving in the morning with a portion. And then second, it was, in fact, a gift. Boaz indicates in verse 17 that it's a gift for Naomi, 
Boaz loved Ruth and Naomi and had a righteous desire that any righteous Israelite would have for widows. It was righteous for Boaz to to provide such a generous portion for Naomi and Ruth. And lastly, it's definitely a message. The grain is a signal to Naomi that Boaz is fully on board with the plan and will not rest until the matter is settled because Naomi's response is this. She says, the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz didn't call Naomi and said, hey, I got this. I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna settle it today. The gift communicated that message that the man is righteous and you can bank on his righteousness. He will settle the matter today. And so Naomi and Ruth, they're in the, they're in the best of hands right now. They've probably found the most upright man in Bethlehem, and he happens to be a relative. And that brings me to my last point, the peace of Naomi, in verse 18. Naomi's prayer that it may be well with you, that the Lord may deal kindly with you, it's almost answered at this point. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In the original language, there's a big emphasis on today, meaning this very day. Naomi has a peace and rest in trusting in the man Boaz to bring redemption and restoration to completion. Though we don't know who the Redeemer will be, there is still a confidence that Naomi displays in her words here. This very day, the matter will be settled. And this is a small taste of the peace that we find in our, in our Redeemer, Christ. Christ did not rest until the work of redemption was complete on the cross. And Christ does not rest now as our advocate before our holy God. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, similar to Boaz, but the true and better Boaz, will not rest until he has seen his people come to redemption. And so Naomi's peace, she she believes that Boaz is going to bring this matter of redemption to completion. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, there may be those in this room or those listening to our podcast who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have the rest and the peace that Naomi has. Your life is empty. You are the spiritually widowed lost person that I've been speaking of. You're in need of redemption And there is a near relative to you, and that man is Jesus Christ. Come before the feet of Jesus, your Redeemer, this morning. Repent from your sins and be like Naomi. Similar to Naomi in her heart change, 180 degree turn. Her heart was bitter towards God. It was against God. And then she hoped in God again. You can hope in Jesus Christ. Repent for your sins. That offer is open to you today. And you're welcome to talk to the elders in this room or myself or, or any one of us. Don't feel weird about it, but we can help you process whatever might be going on in your heart. And uh, here's some takeaways for believers this morning. 
Some of you this morning have been walking in your faith for quite some time, and you have forgotten the truth that God works through your actions. See, the tendency for churches is that we go into a maintenance mode, right? We don't see the emergency situation that's around us. Naomi and Ruth, they knew the emergency situation. They were starving. They needed redemption. So are those today. The spiritually widowed are starving in need of redemption. We are a new church plant less than a year old. We've been doing church for a while, but even us, even we can go into a maintenance mode. Maybe the original excitement of the church plant can kind of wear off sometimes. But the fault is not God. The fault is not our church. The fault is not the gospel. God, the church, and the gospel is power. The fault would be our own. So realize the emergency situation this morning, that they are lost people in need of redemption. Be like Naomi. Make an imperfect plan for redemption. God will use it. Be like Ruth. Love with steadfastness and loyalty. God will use it. And be like Boaz. Act in wisdom. Make an effective plan, a wise plan, and don't rest until the mission of redemption is accomplished. And mothers this morning, let me gear it towards you on Mother's Day. Be encouraged because God works through your actions no matter how small they may seem. You are in the trenches of this war of unbelief with your, with your children. You are constantly repeating yourself, constantly exhausted from your efforts. Just the normal grind of constantly charging them to obedience and them showing them their sin and then showing them Christ, it can be exhausting. You don't have a big glorious moment like Naomi, all right? You're not a name that's in inspired scripture, but your role is significant because it is a part of this mission of redemption. You are used by God for his good purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for speaking to us through Naomi's life, Ruth's life, and Boaz's life, God. We thank you for the unusual yet righteous, prayerful, and exciting plan of Naomi, God. And we thank you for your sovereignty and the events that unfolded, God, in, in their redemption, more of which we'll talk about next week, God. You loved us so much, God, that you sent your only son, Lord, through this plan, continuing the bloodline to David and down to, to Christ, God. We are so thankful for that, God. I pray for mothers in this room, Lord, that they would see that their actions and their plans for their children matter, that they, though it may seem exhausting, if we raise our children up in the Lord, they will return to the Lord. They will come to the Lord. That is your promise in Scripture. So, Lord, I pray all these things in your name. Amen.